0: Hey, it's Andrew, and today is a very special episode as we're celebrating our first anniversary of Churn FM. We have now published a new episode every week for 52 weeks straight, and what better way to celebrate the anniversary than by having the guest of our very first episode back on the show. This week, we have Brian Balfour, founder and CEO of Reforge. Reforge have career development programs for experienced tech professionals in product, marketing, data, design, and engineering, co-authored by Brian Balfour, Andrew Chen, and Sean Klaus. In this episode, Brian shared his new learnings on churn and retention since our last chat a year ago, why understanding your customers' habits are important to improving user activation, and a deep dive into the concept of survival analysis. Brian also shared his insights on why you should focus on a specific user activation flow, the importance of a vendor-champion relationship, and why jumping into quantitative data too fast can be misleading. It's been a year, and as usual, I'm always excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy this episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With the browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth.
1: How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing.
0: Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael,
1: and here's today's episode.
0: Hi, Brian. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. For the listeners, I think Brian is someone who needs no introduction. Uh, And it's actually a very special episode today because it's our one year anniversary of the show. Uh, Brian was actually the first episode uh, ever aired and uh, now he's gonna be the first episode of the new year and also one of the most listened to episodes. So if you haven't heard that one already, I definitely make sure you go back and listen to episode one with uh, Brian. Uh, And if you don't know who he is, he's also, he is the CEO and founder of Reforge. Uh, Reforge develops career development programs for experienced tech professionals in product marketing, data design and engineering. And prior to Reforge, Brian was the VP of Growth at HubSpot, where he led the growth team on new products within HubSpot. He's also been a part of building, investing and advising in over 40 startups, some of which bombed out and others went on to billion dollar successes. So my first question for you today, Brian, is what has been the biggest new learning for you when it comes to churn and retention since starting to build Reforge?
1: Well, first of all for one year i just want to congratulate you i feel like we should be like eating cake while recording this podcast or something like that <laughs> but yeah you know churn and retention so the biggest learning i mean there's a lot i think so i think everybody knows by now that it's probably one of the most impactful long-term levers of the company i think um, we've written about it a lot at reforge about how it's kind of this foundation that uh, as you improve retention, you also tend to improve all of these other factors uh, like monetization and acquisition. But, and so I think everybody, every company kind of gets that importance, but the mistake is like in how you kind of approach fixing a problem. And so the, the, the challenges arise of like people don't really understand kind of the difference between the outputs and the inputs. And so retention is really an output. Churn is also an output. And so it's impossible for teams to kind of sit around and action against how do we improve retention or churn. It always has to be broken down into the inputs. And so like one of the things that we uh, think a lot about at Reforge is that um, if retention is the output, then the three inputs into improving resurrection or sorry improving retention is um, activation engagement and uh, resurrection or some kind of sometimes called reactivation and so if you want to improve retention you obviously have to understand like how to measure that output and, and how to analyze that output but when it actually comes to improving you have to like focus on one of these three areas and and then these three areas kind of break down into even a lot more depth uh, depending on which one you tend to focus on but almost all of the mistakes kind of stem from that is like not understanding how these things kind of actually relate to each other and understanding kind of that, that difference between which part of like this ecosystem is, is outputs versus inputs. I think the second thing is just, this is a, it's a really hard lever to move. Uh There's, it's very impactful, but also very hard in the sense that I think to really move that lever, you're probably always talking about fairly significant product changes, and, but most people want to improve retention by starting with the easier stuff, uh, like the notification or communication layer, whether that's like emails or, or something else. Yeah. And then they're kind of disappointed by the results. And so it, you know it's one of these things where it's a really meaningful, impactful problem to work on, but we see like a lot of companies and products not willing to make the significant product and engineering investment to actually address the problem and move the levers that need to be moved um, to make that meaningful impact. So I think like those are the two of the biggest things and I know we're going to go deeper on, on some of these elements, but at a, at a high level, kind of looking at across, you know, like hundreds of companies and how they're approaching these problems, those are kind of the, the two biggest uh, sources of mistakes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. You see that as well as that. The focus typically when the problem first arises is we have a churn retention problem within the company, but then there's always this sort of like, where do we get started now? And also, as you mentioned, sort of not understanding what are these inputs that are driving the output metrics. So, really being able to have a grasp and a good framework to work from. And I mentioned this in the first part, I think that's one thing that Reforge does exceptionally well, is give you really good frameworks to be able to go back and attack and uh, challenge and work on the problem itself. And one of those areas you mentioned actually was uh, activation. And something that I wanted to talk about today with you was in startups, and uh, this actually came up in an episode with David Scott, where he said basically there's two main areas where he sees uh, churnin uh, being the biggest issue. And one is when there's bad onboarding and people never really establish the value. And the other one is when the customer champion leaves. So uh, touching a little bit on sort of the onboarding and the activation flow uh, of how do you make sure you're getting your uh, users and your customers to sort that aha moment and that habit moment where they've established the value and they've now built a habit around it. What are some of the things that you would advise companies to do when it go, comes down to analyzing their activation flow and how would they go about understanding which areas they could be making improvements and how they should be improving it?
1: Well, I think you mentioned a key word there, which is the word habit. So I think most of the time when I see activation and onboarding teams working on things, they're not actually thinking about this in terms of how do we establish the habit with the user? The habit you know, is when you're seeing somebody do some type of core behavior, you know, you know, across multiple successive time periods, right? Like they're, they're showing that repeat behavior, but I think like kind of the, the fallacy and, and, and popularization of like Facebook seven friends in 10 days kind of metric has moved teams to focus more on um, things that kind of stop short of actually building the habit. And so that that's first and foremost is like i think people need to form like a true qualitative understanding around what does an actual habit look like for my user or customer and it's different right like i think in saas in the saas cases like you know the early days of hubspot where we were selling like this all in one you know email marketing tool it would you know take months for people to get to that establishing that habit because the tool required a lot of setup and exporting contacts into the tool and setting up some data and some lists and like all of these types of things and so like in in those types of scenarios the SaaS scenarios people tend to like convert people they go through like one customer onboarding call and like that's what they that's how they kind of think about like their onboarding yeah. experience but so most of the time actually the time period to establish a habit for a lot of products ends up being much longer than people realize and, and so you have to like align the energy around that, that entire time period around like how to improve, uh, how to improve and establish that habit. Because until that habit is established, people are fundamentally in like a different mindset than yeah. um, kind of like post habit establishment. But once you form that qualitative understanding, then you, of like what a habit looks like, then you can work backwards of like, what does that experience look like from like the point of conversion to establishing habit. And so this kind of like gets to the second big point. It's not just about thinking about establishing the habit, but doing that and then working your way backwards. Also, a lot of times, like the biggest mistake is like you work from the conversion point forward. But when you do that, you don't really understand like the destination that you're trying to get them to and like what all the steps are. And so starting with that destination and then deconstructing that destination backwards gives you a set of like more actionable things and points and steps Um, Along the journey that um, you can start to build the product around align your like customer success to team success teams if you're a SaaS company or or like other kind of like notification strategies incentive strategies things of that nature. I think the other thing about this that around establishing a habit is that there are products where you're tapping into a pre-existing habit and there are products that where you're establishing the new habit and to, to kind of exemplify both of these things, I think a really good use case around this is um, Calm, which is like the, the meditation and sleep app. Yeah. So, Calm started off as a meditation app, and and they you know um, establishing like a meditation routine for a lot of users is basically you're establishing a new habit. That is a much much harder task than tapping into a pre existing habit. So, um, Dun Wang, who's like the chief product officer there now and has worked on their growth, who's that, like that team has just absolutely killed it, has like told the story in Reforge about how they layered on the use case of their product of uh, around sleep. Well, sleep is like a pre existing habit, right? Like we all yeah. sleep, we all have to sleep, and it's a really important like problem and habit. And so, they're like a stout, like getting a user to um use your product around a pre-existing habit that they already have ends up being a much more much easier task. And so that's why you see like all of these products, like anything to do with like workouts or diets or like new productivity routines and like to-do lists. These things are real these things have really low activation rates typically, because establishing a new habit among the user is really, really hard. So you really need to understand like kind of like what type of habit you're actually working with because that that starts to inform like how you build your experience how you look at the numbers how you establish the metrics like all of these like really important things when it comes down to thinking about your activation flow
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense and definitely like I do see this as being a big problem of the really like people falling short of understanding where activation, what activation actually means and what onboarding actually means because I think it's more often than not it's really like very shallow and looking at your app and saying okay what is the key action that somebody needs to get value, how do we get them to that point, okay that's our onboarding or that's our activation but Really, it's super important to understand what the end goal is. Like you say, like, where do you want them to be? Like, what does that habit moment look like when they're achieving and receiving value on a consistent basis? Uh, And then looking back and sort of seeing, like, how can uh, you go about getting them to that point where all of your customers are experiencing this value and this habit? The next thing then I think as well, like once you've been able to do this sort of qualitative comparison in sort of analyzing your activation flow would probably be to look at sort of survival analysis, as you mentioned in Reforge as well. Can you talk us through a little bit about the concept of the survival analysis and then a segmentation? Like how would you go about segmenting?
1: Yeah, well, I think the, you know, I actually think, you know, before we get into that, I don't think people spend nearly enough time on aligning around like qualitative framing and hypothesis of like what what a habit looks like and what the journey to that habit are and like what the key moments are. A lot of people love to just like jump into the data. There's all sorts of advanced regressions and correlation analyses and all the stuff that you can do. And these things have been made. Uh, much, much easier by analytics tools like segment and amplitude um, and a number of other tools. But you know a lot of times you kind of just like look at that data, hoping that the answer is going to jump out to you, and most of the time it's not. And so you really need kind of that qualitative understanding in that context to to really like think about like what this activation um, experience looks like. But when you go through that qualitative understanding, you look, you're like, okay, well, this is what a habit looks like to a user, you can typically identify some like key points along that journey from like sign up or conversion to to habit uh, to that habit. And when you find these like key points along that journey, you can typically align like metrics that indicate that they've like done that behavior or they've like reached that moment in the, in the journey. We generically classify them in reforge as the setup moment, the aha moment and the habit moment. But for other products, there might be like more granular moments, kind of like in between them. But once you have those, then you can then start to do a survival analysis of like how people are like going through the flow, through this flow, um, like who's dropping off, who's kind of successful through these moments. Um, but then the most important part is the segmentation, so you can segment by a bunch of different ways, whether it's like um, the channel, the audience, the I don't know the different actions they took like within their first experience. This kind of like really gets down to product specific. But I think what, what a challenge is for everybody is that what you really want to look at, the most insightful stuff to look at, is really look at the success and failures of, of people within your target audience. Oftentimes, especially, you know, in anything that has some kind of like free flow, you end up a lot of people signing up for a product that just really aren't in your target audience. And that starts to make the data super noisy, especially the failure points like super, super noisy. And the thing that you really want to tune in on is like the people that you've built this product for that ended up failing. Like those are the people that um, really have the six, like the insights for you to start thinking about how do I improve um, this activation flow over time. And specifically you want to compare those failures to the success groups because that's kind of like where the real insights like start to emerge, right? So you could find people within your target audience that failed and they might give you a bunch of reasons of like why they didn't end up activating, but you, but you know, the successful users might have actually encountered those same exact problems, but they got past those problems for some reason or another. And so like comparing and contrasting these groups are the things that start to really um, kind of bubble up and emerge on the actual problems that are causing your intended audience to, to fail through this activation flow and things that you can like start to optimize, things that you can start to optimize around. This is especially problematic in like early stage companies who are still like really figuring out like who their audience is and they tend to do these big PR and promotional announcements and so they get a huge swath of like tire kickers coming in to the product and trying out and then they have like super act super low activation rates and then they go down this like black hole of figuring out like what the problem is. But but what they really want to tune into is like out of those all of their signups, which ones were actually in our target audience. And then out of that target audience, who were successful and not successful. And then out of those that were not successful, what were the problems that they like truly encountered that we can like start to address. And so that's that tends to be like how I think about, it tends to be how I think about like this this survival analysis along the way or, or like some of, some of the like kind of the key attributes that that you need to kind of pursue.
0: Yeah, I think it's also very much similar to sort of get it gathering feedback on a website is that similarly you'll get like thousands of visitors and there's typically three buckets ones that were always going to be your customers and they would have signed up and done no matter what then there's the other group that were never going to be customers that were just visiting and browsing and then there's a middle group that are not too sure and Um, going through and it's very difficult and you get very mixed signals when you're asking for feedback or trying to get input from like all of your visitors. It's really important to understand like who the customers. So one of the things actually uh, we talk about at Hotjar is really like doing a post-purchase survey and similarly can be sort of like post-success surveys like asking questions like what nearly made you not convert or what nearly stopped you from achieving your goal today this is also another great way to sort of be able to get some insights into what are the blockers and barriers of your ideal customer and then like sort of negating that gathering feedback and input from potentially a large audience that's it's not even going to be your customer You mentioned something as well in terms of uh, use cases and understanding sort of what the activation flow and I think this is definitely something that applied to us at Hotjar that it took us a while to understand and consider is that if you have multiple tools within your service and uh, different personas and different use cases, the activation flow and the goals are gonna be different. So you mentioned it before, looking at sort of the quantitative data, you're just gonna get a lot of mixed signals. And in our case, like a lot of the thing that ends up happening we look at quantitative quantitative data is it's really just uh, a reflection of what our onboarding is like. What are the key actions we ask them to take during onboarding? And that's typically what the data shows us is that the actions we ask them to take first are the most successful actions. But really, that's where it becomes key to understanding sort of who is that customer profile? What is their use case? What are they trying to achieve? And then measuring that cohort or that uh, thing against uh, the different flows. How do you advise companies like uh, thinking about the different challenges where they have multiple uses of their product? Like where to focus energies? Obviously, you can't build like an onboarding and activation experience for for everyone. Yeah, well, I mean, I think this,
1: this is this is kind of like a key strategic choice is that is that people, you know, Oftentimes when you do a bunch of customer development or qualitative analysis, you find that a bunch of different use cases and the way that I that we think about use cases in Reforge is that it's a combination of a, a problem and and a who. So we don't think about it just from the persona perspective or like what some people like to call like jobs to be done. It's like it's a combination of those two things. And so when you do a lot of qualitative analysis, you tend to find that a lot of like use cases are present. But just because a use case is present doesn't mean that you strategically choose to optimize and build your product around around it and this kind of gets back to like the noise thing like you you get noise not only in the quantitative data but in the qualitative data as well and so i commonly always tell this story from from hubspot this happened before the before my time there but it was it's told over and over and over uh, it's like beaten to your head uh, in that in the company Um, because it was one of the pivotal moments is that they three years into the company basically did this analysis and found that they had four different use cases for the product. And and so they had like a use case for a super technical marketer, a use case for an enterprise marketer, a use case for a super SMB owner, and then a use case for like this mid marketing VP. And, And essentially what was happening is that that, because even though those use cases were present and everybody knew those use cases present, it was pulling the product in a, in a bunch of different directions. It was pulling the marketing in a bunch of different directions. It was pulling onboarding and activation in a bunch of different directions. And you just can't do that, right? Like that's a recipe for failure. And so you have to like strategically choose which use cases that you're going to um, want to solve for and um, really build around those. And then when you really nail those, then you earn the right over time, to either evolve that use case, to reach a broader and broader audience, or you layer on new use cases over over time as you gain like the resources to really focus and optimize around those use cases over time. But almost always, right, like what ends up happening is we have, you know, we walk people through this exercise and, and it's like, oh, well, like I have this use case and this, and they like list out five use cases and they like want to like try to build you know something for all of them, and then they, you end up building something for none of them. None. Yeah. And so, and so this was a really hard problem at you know like at HubSpot they ended up choosing that mid marketing VP as like the starting point, and it's kind of evolved over time. And but when they did that, like, like everything changed. The company, everything, the product got more aligned, and we able to like ship things faster. The marketing got more aligned. You know, there was a temporary dip in like conversion of new customers, but but that rebounded over time, and like increased and retention increased over a given period of time, and um, all of that happened just because of like the fo- of just essentially I mean, the, the focus. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so like, this is like, actually, I think one of the toughest things and probably one of the biggest failure points for like earlier stage companies, but even like later stage companies, as they start to like develop new products, we had to redo the exercise all over again at HubSpot because we started going into these new product categories and the uh, same thing happened, right? Like as we launched these new products, multiple use cases emerged. We had to make a strategic choice about which one that we wanted to solve for. You had to look at it from a bunch of different angles about like the monetization potential, you know, the retention potential, like all, all of these different factors. And so, um, but but that focus, like the, the, the worst decision you can make is is no decision. No.
0: I think it is like a very, very difficult decision. And I definitely see like it played out a little bit at Hot Shows where uh, you're hesitant to make a decision because you don't want to make the wrong decision, but you feel you know you need to make it. And I think it's also because it's influenced by so many different opinions. Like everybody within the company has an opinion of who they think the ideal customer profile is and who they should be going after. So I think it's also, it's really important like when making these decisions that you have a good process and uh, you're really looking at the data and also doing qualitative uh, feedback as well. Uh, we did an exercise at Hot recently where we took a look at sort of our most successful customers, what we classified people who had stayed with us for longer than nine months and they were business customers. We did a panel uh, survey as well, looking at, like the willingness to pay and likelihood to buy of potential new customers. And then we started grouping and taking a look at data that we had of our product usage to try and formulate okay who's getting the most value out of products who is like is most likely to bring more value to the company over time and sort of were then able to carve out the segments and understand like really and for us who we were i think in a lucky position where it turned out like 65 percent of our audience made up that ideal customer profile but for other companies i think it's not as easy and it's black and white and definitely a very very difficult thing to do
1: yeah i mean there's a really simple exercise you can just do internally is just send out a survey and ask them like you know you know, describe who we're solving for and like the problem that we're solving for and just see like a divergence of answers <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and and then you realize like you need to get a lot more specific and then you need to re- repeat that specificity over and over and over and over again and then and then the next challenge becomes is like once you dominate that category is like how do you evolve and, and build like for you know the marginal user to like expand expand your use case over time, and then make sure that people kind of get the new definition in your head. So yeah, it's one of yeah. these things that just constantly evolves over time.
0: And you mentioned so this was a problem at HubSpot. And another thing I mentioned earlier as well was the interview with David Scott talking about and something that I think he mentioned realizing at HubSpot as well was what when the customer champion ended up leaving that ended up being a big reason for churn at the company. Was this something that you encountered at your time? Was it something that your team took a look at at all? Or,
1: yeah, I mean, this is pretty common for any any type of SaaS product that isn't bottoms up. You tend to not have this problem in a bottoms up type of product because you you have like multiple users on it over time. And so, I don't remember when this happened, but at some point we did an analysis of like looking at like revenue retention for accounts that had like one user on the account versus just like two users on the account. And the difference was just like dramatic. Obviously the two users account had much, much better uh, retention. And so, and so just, so a lot of times in the SAS, the, the SAS cases that it's, you know, just getting, getting the tool to like spread internally to more than, more than one user is, is like a retention is like a retention lever. So you see like, there's a lot of like SaaS companies that uh, make a strategic choice that they're not going to charge on like a per user basis. HubSpot never char- didn't charge on a per user basis. Things like SurveyMonkey, I believe, don't charge on a per user basis because the there's bigger levers or value metrics for them to charge on, and instead it's about how do you get the the tool to um, spread internally so that if one of them does leave. Then it's embedded enough in the org that it creates like a lot of friction to to like easily replace. Yeah. But at the same time, this kind of works into your advantage as well. So we certainly saw a lot, and I think a lot of the SaaS companies that I've invested in, what what we see is that as uh, that champion or that person leaves, they you know if you execute well, we'll bring it into their new organization. And so that's like a really hard thing to. It's a really hard thing to track, but. Over a long period of time, it tends to become a larger and larger portion potentially of, of like the new users coming in your flow. And and into the regards of the conversation of activation, this becomes really important because all of a sudden you have really, really highly educated users coming into that flow and really what you want to do in those scenarios is just get the hell out of their way and not necessarily treat them like a brand, you know, a brand, brand new user and and so certainly like as the hubspot ecosystem grew over time you know that ended up um like being a new source and so you can attack it from both angles and and you know turn the disadvantage into an advantage and there's different categories that have more turnover than others right like um sales tends to be a category that has um more turnover than I don't know, like something like finance or HR, right? It might be on the other end of this uh, other end of the spectrum, and so really kind of depends on on that category and that use case. And, and coming back to that, who again?
0: Yeah, it's very interesting, like that you bring it back to the activation side of things. So they've done a full loop and uh, they've gone off, come somewhere else, and now it's about just getting them to that value as fast as possible, getting out of the way because they know what to do and they've used the product uh, many times. So there's one question I wanted to ask you as well. I ask every guest and want to put together a hypothetical scenario that you've decided to start a new job and you arrive at the company and trainer attention is not doing well at all. You've been asked to try and turn things around, but you've only been given three months to try and prove some results. What would be some of the things that you would do in the first three months to try and uh, make a dent?
1: Um... Educate the executive team why three months is too short of a time period. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> my first step. That's like my cheat, my my cheat answer to the question, but it's probably actually like right. the, the realistic answer to that question. But if I'm gonna focus anywhere, if I'm gonna focus anywhere, oh, these these types of questions are always tough. It's almost for surely going to be. Well, I, I would go through, I would go through the analysis of like, um, how much, how much volume, you know, how much volume do I have in different parts? And I'm probably going to look at the ends, the entry points and the exit points. So activation and essentially like whatever the exit points on like cancellation and churn are. If there's a decent enough volume, if there's a decent enough volume, what I'm going to probably do first is, is I'm going to focus on the exit points in a very short period of time. Cause these are people who already bought, they've showed you intent, you've educated them all these types of things and kind of kind of interjecting and saving them in the churn and in the churn points are is probably gonna yield um the shortest like the shortest term results and here you just have to like think about it as like a reverse funnel so rather than removing friction you're trying to create friction but good friction right like you're trying to you know remind them of like the value of the product and and the effort that they put into it and all those types of factors. So if I don't have a lot of volume at that endpoint, then I'm probably going the first, I'm definitely gonna focus on activation. And what I'd probably do there is um, I would just uh, like do a ton of manual onboarding is what I would do. And it's not scalable long-term. But what it's going to do is I'll probably going by manually onboarding a bunch of people, I'm going to probably get a, get a lift in activation and therefore retention. And I'm going to learn just a ton about the product and other things that we can do to, to, to improve it more long-term. But those things are almost always going to take more than three months. So that's probably, those are probably, those are my first two instincts
0: yeah i really like that of the manual onboarding approach uh, as well i think as you mentioned with the like the focusing on the churn exit side of things it'll be short term you might see results but focusing on that activation point uh, is going to have enormous impact and then those learnings you can take them into what you get building and what you automate and even though it's not scalable to begin with it becomes sort of what your product roadmap can look like when it comes to activation and helping people get to value the Last thing then I want to do touch on for today was we chatted last uh, year. You were about two and a half years into the journey. Now, I think it must have been about three and a half years. And when we last chatted, we spoke about like how you see uh, retention and churn at Reforge specifically. And at that point, I think you only had sort of a seasonal high-priced product where it was very difficult and it wasn't really a subscription business back then uh fast forward a year i think things have started to change now with the subscription offering you're starting to bring in how uh has things changed for you like how is you managing this transition because it's almost a transitionary phase now for the company going from selling like a product once off or trying to repeat customers to now trying to have a subscription service where you're bringing in companies and you're bringing in regular uh, customers
1: yeah so we learned a lot we we did the subscription stuff as like a like a beta test and the background test, and we still haven't fully rolled it out publicly. We probably won't in the near term. We've learned a lot. It was actually pretty successful. But when we really started thinking about things, um, we really just started thinking about kind of the broader story and journey that like our target audience takes in their professional careers and where we should be really focusing on that. And so um, we don't really think about ourselves as a school, like what we really want to do is just to help people do the best work of their careers. And, and so doing that actually comes down to like doing the work, like actually applying what you learn. And I think unfortunately, like most schools and most education environments stop short at just like giving you the certificate. I and mean, I think in today's world, like most certificates are becoming pretty useless and pretty, you know, non valuable. And so we're more excited about how do we participate in your journey after you finish a Reforge program and you go on the long, hard journey of applying what you learn, because that's really what creates value for you. And that's what creates value for your company. And, and also, you know, from a business perspective, if I was talk about it from a product strategy perspective, you know, helps us establish more frequent touch points with you, like between like the seasonality. And so we'll have some stuff that we're we'll baby testing, like this next cohort that's coming up in the spring, starts in like mid-March. would love anybody to join and um, we'll probably be rolling out a little bit broader this year. So it's it's the natural case of like any highly seasonal, low frequency business always needs to think about higher frequency, more consistent use cases over time to like maintain in that relationship and 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 like continue growing over time. So that's a lot of what we're thinking about. So it's been it's been a journey. Yeah, it's it's very
0: interesting and like you mentioned so that seasonal aspect or where the frequency is very big. I think one of the use cases actually you mentioned and you talk about the case study in the course was Zillow and I always love that example of you don't buy a house every day. But what Zillow went and did was have the Zillow estimate. So you want to check the valuation of your house and see how things have gone up since they've changed. And then they started bringing in news and uh, really became sort of then a household name. So the next time you're thinking about buying a house, you go to Zillow. So it's an excellent way. And I love the way you're thinking about sort of that career progression and working and making sure that it's not just about the cost, but it's like what the cost delivers and how the value continues to grow and how that individual grows as well. So, Ron, I mean, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with today? I see we're up on time as well. It's been a pleasure having you. But is there anything you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be checking out for? Anything coming up?
1: Nothing special. Keep. I hope everybody keeps fighting the good fight. You know, meaningful work is really hard work. So there's very, very any shortcuts. And, yeah, I just encourage everybody out there to stick with it.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks very much for joining today. Wish you best of luck now going forward and uh, a lot of good experiments and looking forward to see what you come up with in, the, in this year.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me and congrats on the one year.
0: Thank you. Thanks. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm also don't forget to subscribe to our show on itunes google play or wherever you listen to your podcasts if you have any feedback good or bad i would love to hear from you and you can provide your blunt direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm lastly but most importantly if you enjoyed this episode please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.